The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. I want to welcome to our studio on Tisha Gleave Radker. Tisha, good morning and welcome. Morning. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the holidays at this stage, I yeah, suspect. Yeah, another, another week or two before I get away, but definitely uh, looking forward to that. Now, uh, there are some people in Dublin who were looking forward to their holidays and instead got bad news yesterday from Accenture. And I was looking at the numbers. They had predicted they would be going for a global rationalisation of about 2.5%. You do the numbers for Ireland and it's 14%. Do you have any reaction to, yeah. to that? Well, look, it's 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 devastating news. Um, even at a time of full employment, nine hundred job losses is, is a lot, um, and will have an impact um, not just on the people affected, but of course in their families and uh, and the wider community. Um, what will happen now is there'll be a consultation period with the staff of thirty days. That's required under law. Um, I think it's important that Accenture, which is a successful company that's generally doing quite well, uh, should put in place a decent redundancy package for the staff who are losing their jobs. And of course, government will be there too. Um, whether it's uh, you know help to find an alternative employment. Um, Do they give you any warning? Uh, they they do give us warning now. Generally, a company will tell its staff before it tells the government, and that's actually the right thing to do. But um, uh, there's a provision under law where they have to let us know um, where there's a significant collective redundancy, and they did. Um, in terms of government help, obviously we can be there with help around job search, around training, uh, around social welfare entitlements if people need that. You know, back to education allowances, back to training allowances, setting up your own enterprise is help for that. But too. these these are high income jobs by and large, are they not? Yeah, um, that's right. Hard to replace, perhaps, for those individuals? Well, essentially what, what's happened in the kind of tech sector and the consultancy sector, which is linked to tech in this case, uh, is they did a really rapid expansion during the pandemic period and that sector is retrenching by between about 5 and 15%. That's typically what we're seeing across the sector uh, in terms of um, headcounts being being reduced. Uh, it still means that there are more people working in the sector than there were three or four years ago and even when it comes to Accenture, there'll be more people working there next year than there would have been uh, five years ago. So we are seeing uh, retrenchment of back of the sector yeah. but I heard it said that the vast majority of people in in these jobs yeah. will get alternative employment because Accenture are a subcontractor effectively for right, the, the yeah, tech for sector the techs, yeah. and the, the big techs are not doing as much project work yeah. so they've less need for Accenture and that's why this yeah, yeah they've reduced their own staff and they've reduced their outsourcing too um, but notwithstanding that we're still seeing an overall increase in the number of people working in the tech sector and thankfully a lot of the people who are um, in these positions you know they've skills in finance they've skills in HR um, there are more vacancies in the economy now than there are people seeking work so I think the vast majority of them will fa- find alternative employment and will get a decent redundancy package but that's still it's still a shock it still puts you know? a hell of a and, damper uh, on your if you, as if we didn't yeah. have a damp enough yeah. July uh, damper on your, your expectations now overnight uh, you've uh, been publishing a plan for ending child poverty. And I'm looking at it uh, that the focus is on making sure every child and their family has the income they need, early learning and care, reduced cost of education, prevention and mitigation of family homelessness, pathway to access the services they need and arts, culture and sports opportunities. Now, it's very worthy. However, when you look at all those elements I mean, they're not there for many people at the moment. Well, look, it's something I, I'm very serious about. Um, when I was re-elected Taoiseach back in December, um, in my first speech, I announced that we'd set up a child poverty and well-being unit in the Department of Taoiseach. We've done that. It's established. Uh, it's fully staffed now. And uh, its work programme was agreed by Cabinet there last week and is being published today. And really, it's about making sure that every child uh, gets a good start in life in Ireland. And the vast majority of children do, um, but many don't. And... 
if these problems didn't exist and if they weren't real, I wouldn't be prioritising them. Uh, and we are going to prioritise them because... I mean, um, it does lead down the road to problems, as we know, whether it's needing the services of CAMs yeah. or whether it's antisocial behaviour. Yes, criminal justice system. All of those things. All, all those things. So uh, the, the best interventions and the most cost interven- interventions are the ones that happen earliest. Um, and very often, you know, the vast majority of children, their parents can look after them, can... Um, uh, have employment or are able to make sure they get a good start in life, life but that isn't the case for every child and that's so I think where how the state do you, has to step in. With the universality that we have of child benefit for example, mm. how do you target kids who are in homes where either, you know, there isn't enough money yeah. full stop or whether the money, you know, they, they don't have, if you like, the life coaching skills to run the budget properly? And but, kids end up deprived and hungry. Yeah, well, of course, some of it is about money and some of it isn't. So it's a combination of, of money and services. Um, the first of the six areas that we're going to focus on is on family incomes. Uh, so there are lots of things you can do in that area. As you mentioned, child benefit is universal, um, but welfare payments aren't. So there is a child dependent payment that is paid to families that uh, are in social welfare. So it's the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, for example. And there's the working family payment, which is really important because that's uh, additional financial help for families where somebody is, is working. Are these going to be boosted then? That's the intention. Uh, they already have been, by the way, in the last couple of years. So we're, we're not starting this from from. from square one. Um, we've, we've done a lot of that in the last budget. Uh, and then another area which is very important is making sure that work pays, uh, that where uh, people are are in work, particularly are in low paid work, um, that they get a decent uh, wage, get a decent income and the move to the living wage is a big part of that. And also, you know, new entitlements like parental leave, like sick pay, all the things that we've been doing the last couple of years. And then there's a the service piece, which is really important, reducing the cost of childcare, making sure that early early childhood education is, is of good quality um, and then the kind of things that you know we're doing at the moment for example introducing free school books now that's for everyone um, but of course um, yeah. uh, and, and we've been laggards when it comes to that when north of the border that's been in place for it quite has, a yeah. long time yeah. uh, but, but you know other, other, other areas where we're very much catching up you know another is the hot school meals which is focused on, on disadvantaged mm-hmm. schools but Minister Humphreys wants to extend that to, to all schools yeah. in due course and then a big thing that's going to happen this year uh, and you know something I've been working on for a very long time and uh, we are making real progress on it, is reducing the cost of healthcare for children. So we've abolished uh, hospital charges for children and for adults. And uh, this year, in fact, on the 11th of August, we're extending free GP care to now all children. Now, you know the GPs are not happy. Well, we, we did agree this with them. Uh, so, you know, this was agreed with the... But, but they claim that the numbers will soar to the point that they're already overwhelmed. There aren't enough GPs and with more and more retiring and more and more young doctors emigrating, uh, you know, do does the whole thing add up? Um, well, what we've agreed with the doctors is a significant increase in the state income that they get to make up for the private income that's going to be lost, um, a big increase in funding for practice nurses. If you look at a lot of other countries, for example, um, they have a lot more practice nurses. So if you go into a GP surgery in Ireland, you'll often go into the surgery and there's maybe four doctors and one nurse. If you went to the Netherlands, there'd be four doctors and four nurses. So uh, there'll okay. be a big increase so, in number so of So I'm nurses. working in any as a nurse at the moment and I'm overwhelmed. I hate it. Uh, I hate the shifts. I hate the trouble. I hate the aggro. And you're advertising then for hundreds of practice nurses mm-hmm. across the country. That sounds like a nice job for me. So I denude the emergency departments of vital staff. Well, look, any time you expend, extend or improve any part of uh, the public service, people will move from one part to the other. Um, what, what 
But what, what, don't you what, see the law of unintended consequences uh, kicking in? I, I do, but there's there's a bigger picture to it. Um, we we have more nurses now in Ireland than ever before, by the way. Despite the fact we have a lot of emigration to Australia in particular, uh, we have more nurses registered and working in the health service than ever before, and more doctors, by the way, uh, registered with the medical council and working in Ireland than ever before. So we do have people coming in from abroad, which is good. We do have people coming back from abroad, and we're increasing training places dramatically. So when I trained as a GP, not not all that long ago, um, we only trained about 130. 340 GPs a year. We're now training 300 a year. And as Minister Harris announced the other day, a big increase in the number of nursing places. Um, mm. And we're also going to uh, train nurses up are, north. Are you still setting your faces against uh, a compulsory period of, tra- you know, uh, post-graduation training and practice here for a couple of years to get the value out of your GPs and your nurses before they emigrate to, to make a few bob in Dubai or uh, Brisbane? Yeah, we, 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 we did look at that and consider it and we kind of decided on balance that we didn't think it, it was a good idea, um, that it might, um, you know, while people might be required to stay for a number of years, they would be almost more likely to go uh, once their period of compulsory work, if you like, uh, continued. And the best thing we can do is to try to be more, try to be competitive. Um, now, we're very competitive on salaries. You know, our doctors and nurses yeah. are among the best paid in Europe. Um, we don't do as well in terms of work-life balance uh, and the level of um, patient load that they have relative to other countries and that's one of the reasons why we have the safe, the safe, the safe staffing mix uh, in our hospitals and bringing that in um, and another change that we're making too. Now a lot of the problems we have I mean the, the teachers are complaining overnight you probably uh, heard uh, about what the president of the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland ASTI uh, Geraldine O'Brien highlighting the shortage of Teachers Now, we're educating teachers. They are, again, emigrating. And a lot of the, the difficulties actually come down. You can, whether it's Garthi, looking for Garthi to work in the centre of Dublin uh, or frontline firefighters or ambulance drivers or teachers or whatever, frontline services, housing is at the heart of it. If they can't get affordable housing, they cannot do the job. And yet, we're not breaking the back of that problem at all. Well, like, uh, again, there are teacher shortages and that's a real issue, particularly when it comes to, you know, filling maternity and illness and so on. Um, notwithstanding that, once again, we have more teachers in Ireland than ever before and the pupil-teacher ratio has never been lower. So, you know, there, there is a bigger picture here that sometimes uh, doesn't get seen when we focus on on, on the gaps and on, on the problems. Um, housing- but when schools can't find anyone to interview for posts they have, when some schools put unqualified people in front of the class because they can't find a qualified person. I mean, that seems to be a failure. We prided ourselves on the quality of of our education system. That seems to be becoming diluted. I think think Ireland really has a very good education system. And, you know, if you look at how we compare with other countries in terms of um, literacy, in terms of how well our kids do at maths and science, you know, we're doing really well. So, you know, I think that should be acknowledged. And that is down in large part to the quality of the teachers that we have uh, and the the work that they do. Um, But I don't pretend or deny for a second that there aren't problems. There are, of course, and there are teacher shortages and, um, you know, part of what we do. But do you accept that housing is at the heart of many of our problems, that if you can get affordable housing and we have all these, uh, you know, schemes, the HAP scheme was, if you like, the, the granddaddy of them, but a lot of schemes to try and make housing affordable when... The basic solution is that many people should have housing provided by the local authorities all around the country. And if they did that and did that properly, it would completely uh, mitigate the problem. 
Yeah, look, housing is at the heart of a lot of our problems uh, in Ireland at, at the moment. Um, we're experiencing a deep housing crisis and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but we are making a lot of progress too and there's no one single solution. One solution, of course, is increased supply and that's happening. Um, we will build more than 30,000 new homes this year, which is more than any year in probably 15, 16 at But this if stage. we need 50? Yeah, but you can only ramp it up so fast. Uh, I wish we could ramp up quicker and if we could, we would. Um, but if you think about it... Uh, you know, when I first became Taoiseach in, in 2017, we were building about 14,000 houses a year. We're, we've now more than doubled that. Um, we'll be up around 30,000 or so this year. And we would aim to continue to increase that over the next couple of years and get up to maybe 50 or 60,000 a year where, where I'd like us to be by the end of the decade. <laughs> um, but just the thing you touched on there on social housing, and and you are right, um, social housing benefits everyone. Uh, you know, it doesn't just take people off the housing list. Uh, it also reduces the pressure in the private rented sector um, and can bring 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 house prices under control um, more generally. Um, the percentage of people who have social housing from a local authority are, are an approved housing body. I don't mean HAP. People who have social housing in Ireland, that's actually gone up in the past 10 years. You, you would think from some of the commentary that it had gone the other way. Uh, so roughly 10% of households in Ireland, we know from the census, uh, receive social housing from a local authority or an approved housing body. That's actually gone up in the past 10 years. There's 40,000 more households that benefit from social housing. And last year we built more social housing than any year since 1975. Now that's not a small yeah. thing, but we need to build on that and do a lot more. Yeah, if you start from a low base, though, some percentages can seem very impressive. But, you know, when house building effectively stalled, and I've, I've really struggled to understand why local authorities just gave up on it. Was it inefficient? Was it easier simply to write the cheque for developers? Well, no, in part, they didn't have the money. Um, you know, we shouldn't forget that this time 12 years ago, we had a massive financial crisis. We had mass unemployment um, and we had a budget deficit and we had uh, the IMF and the Troika in town. Uh, so we had a five-year period where government and local authorities uh, could barely afford to pay their staff, let alone um, build new things and build new houses. So uh, there was a period there where, you know, maybe 50 or 60,000 social houses would have been built if we were building them at the pace for building them now, but they weren't. Um, and then also, uh, I think to a certain extent, local authorities... Um, have uh, probably moved away from doing a lot of work themselves and doing more through uh, private contractors. And there's people who have different views about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but No, I'm, I'm not complaining as to who builds the houses as long as there's adequate cost control, whether it's a developer yeah, yeah, or whether the council ramps up itself and becomes yeah. uh, a builder uh, as well as everything else it has to do. It may be more efficient. Um, but the, 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 the fact that they didn't seem to have the appetite and you wonder um, why. Are social housing complexes difficult to manage? Oh, look, it, it does depend on the local authority and some local authorities are better than others. And that's the nature of local government. That isn't the same in every county. Um, and certainly uh, a lot of local authorities have preferred to have estates managed by approved housing bodies. And there are some really great approved housing bodies out there, by the way. And I know from my constituency that often those estates... Um, are really well managed, you know, whether it's by Respond or by Cluid or Peter McVerry Trust or, or others. Um, but in terms of getting the maximum supply, I think what you need is everyone contributing. So you've local authorities doing their own building. Uh, you've local authorities buying um, houses and apartments off developers through the Part 5 system. You have the approved housing bodies and increasingly you now have the LDA, which is the government's land development mm -hmm. agency, which is a central body, a semi-state, if you like, which we now use to build housing, you know, in places like 
the old mental hospital in Dundrum yeah. in in uh, Shangana, not from where not from where you are. You know, hundreds now under construction, yeah. Donna Bate as well. Um, in my area, though, generally, you mentioned uh, Shangana, and that's one thing. But uh, where there are new apartment blocks in my area, they're all for rent, nothing for sale. I mean, there's one uh, Marietta Woods. A one-bedroom, yes, a one-bedroom. It's a nice development now. I know that yeah. one. One-bedroom uh, apartment, twenty-two hundred per month. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? That is um, extraordinary. Co-living in Dunleary, supposed to be on the market for thirteen hundred a month. It's now eighteen hundred a month is the asking price. I mean, condemning people to a life of renting, and when they then retire and their incomes diminish, how are they to manage? I mean, they're they're heading for eviction. They're heading for poverty. Well, I, I think that's why we need to focus on home ownership. You know, I, I I don't believe in the you know the Vienna model or Berlin model of housing where most people rent for life um, and very few people ever own their own home. Um, I like the idea that people should own their own home, and um, home ownership is, I think, very much part of Irish culture. And you know, it's still the case that um, nearly seventy percent of people, if you exclude not stated on the census, just to be very factual, sixty nine percent of people um, own their own home in Ireland. Um, and we're now seeing, but the deficit is in the under forties. Yeah, it is. Now it's all look. It's always going to be the case that people under 40 or less likely to own their own homes than people over 40. It's the gap. No, but the gap is is getting wider. Well, it it, it had been getting wider. Um, I I think we're in the cusp of changing that if it hasn't changed already. Um, You know, we now see maybe four or 500 people, couples buying their own home uh, every week now. Uh, We haven't seen that since the Celtic Tiger period. That's really encouraging. Uh, didn't happen by accident. Mm. It's because of the increased supply. It's because of things like help to buy, where we give people their income tax back and that enables yeah. them to get a deposit. But, but it does seem to me when I see all these apartment blocks for rent only, yeah. that this is a nice little earner for the developer. And then uh, some of the blocks that were sold in their entirety to, to pension mm. funds, the fact that I'm only, I don't know for a fact which pension fund it might be, but say the Fireman's Pension Fund in Chicago mm. is making money out of older Irish people who can't really afford the rent. It just seems wrong. Yeah, well, there's, there's two aspects of that. We, we do need properties for rent. You know, there are lots of reasons why people may want to rent or need to rent at various points uh, in their lives. And, you know, I, I've rented for a period of time as well. I, I imagine you have too. Um, so we do need properties for rent. Um, but there are a lot of people who are renting who don't want to rent and they would rather either be in social housing or in a home they own. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, something that we need to prioritise and we are prioritising. Um, through a scheme that Dara Bryan has brought in called Creek Conaha, we're actually now going to subsidise the construction of apartments, but only on the basis that they're for sale, uh, not for rent. Um, and I think people are going to see more of them coming through yeah. in the next couple of months. One of the problems, I suppose, is rents are incredibly high, but I've often speculated that HAP is at the heart of this because the government is effectively paying the landlords uh, huge sums of money. And that pushed up the general uh, rent that was being demanded by landlords because landlords, developers, they always take the cream that becomes available through any government scheme. You give a subsidy to first-time buyers, the price goes up by the subsidy. That's what they do. Well, I think that's why why you need to make sure that you have um, adequate supply because the one thing that we know in supply, supply, brings supply, down brings prices is, is supply. Now, it's not all about supply. Um, but supply is what can help to bring down prices. And, you know, we are seeing house prices levelling off now. They're falling in Dublin. Uh, and some of that is down to the increased supply. But we need to keep uh, our foot on the pedal in that regard and make sure that we continue mm. to increase supply over the next coming coming years. The new planning bill, which is 
going to go through it all uh, before Christmas, all things going to plan. Uh, that will help speed up the planning process. We're appointing more judges so the fewer cases get stuck in the courts under judicial review. Um, yeah, but we've still got the development co- levies, which co- costs are, a fortune for judicial review. It's almost anti-democratic that if there's some um, injustice visited by the board, that the cards are stacked for them because the taxpayer pays their bill. Whether well, they win, lose or draw, the taxpayer pays they, their bill. Whereas the punter who feels uh, affronted mm. by what is being imposed upon them has to take their chances. And if they lose in the high court, they are beggared. Well, actually, part of what's in the new new planning bill is a system by which uh, there can be government funding for judicial reviews. Uh, so, you know, that's part of, part of what we're going to change. The main thing, though, I think, is that when something does go to judicial review, that the decision, the case is heard reasonably quickly. And the decision yeah. is made reasonably quickly. I put it to the, the housing minister, though, that, that we should have a rules-based system. And he, he balked at that and that the county development plans, which councils spend years sometimes developing for the next one when it comes about, that they should be sacrosanct. And he refused to kind of go for that. But the idea that a rules-based system tells everybody, the locals, the developers, the councils, what is permitted in any particular location, then there would be fewer judicial reviews, fewer rows, fewer chancing their arms by developers trying to get an extra story or two where none is permitted under the the county development plan. You'd eliminate all of that if you had a proper rules-based system where everybody knew the rules and obeyed them. I would would say we do have a rules-based system. Not at all. There's so much discretion. You send in an inspector, the inspector says, oh, that road actually is perfectly safe for uh, 20-ton trucks delivering granite or taking granite away. This is my experience. Mm. And and I can tell you for a fact that the particular lane in question is not safe for 20-ton trucks taking away granite, but the inspector says it is. What do you do about things like that? Look, you can have rules that are too rigid as well. And if they were too rigid, See, this is the political rigour. Bring, bring back common sense and bring back a, a, a degree of discretion. But, you know, I've been been, been a local councillor. I've done development plans. You know, there are zonings. Um, there is a county development plan or a city development plan. There are then local area plans which say what you can build in a particular area. And then, of course, there are... There are, are the but they drive coach too. and four through them. This is the, one of the problems. And the board has not had an exemplary reputation in the last few years, as you know, with one board member jailed. So in the confidence level on the board is not high. And we're, we're making changes uh, as part of the new planning and development bill on board Panola is going to be replaced, um, replaced with the new Kamashun Planola um, with a much stronger, much more professional mm-hmm. structure. And we're also really increasing the staff resources there because mm-hmm. we need decisions to be made more promptly. And there's some big decisions that are before and Borpanola now at the moment, like Bus Connects, like Metro, for example. Um, and we want mm. to make sure those decisions are made efficiently. I'm just wondering if the board is even big enough, even with extra members, uh, you know, to expect them to adjudicate on Mrs. O'Brien's extension and at the same time adjudicate on Bus Connects and at the same time adjudicate on Offshore Wind. I mean, it's nonsense. Well, it's a, it's a, look, it's a big body and has a lot of decisions to make. Thankfully, the vast majority of decisions are, are, are made at local authority level. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, you know, nearly 40 local authorities doing that. Uh, some so, some get appealed to the board uh, and the board has to deal with them. Um, you've ruled out an early general election. And, you know, my suspicion would be that you hope that events will 
transform the, the scene by the time the next election comes out. For example, if the Ukraine war is over, Ukraine will be rebuilt. Many Ukrainians, indeed many Irish people, might be heading off east uh, to participate in that rebuilding. Uh, so then all the hotel problems you have, all the accommodations you problems you have will evaporate and pretty much everyone who wants a home will be able to get one. Well, look, Is I, that I've, your hope? I've, no, <laughs> I, I've, I've learned many things uh, from my time in politics. You know, was first elected to government back 12 years ago and we had the financial crisis and the Troika and austerity and we've led the country from austerity to prosperity. We had Brexit, we had the pandemic, uh, we've had the inflation crisis. One thing I've definitely learned is there will always be problems. We're never going to wake up yeah. one day and suddenly discover that everything is perfect and wouldn't it be a great yeah. time now to have an election? Yeah. I mean, COVID um, is classic example and the invasion of Ukraine is a classic yeah. of unexpected events, events. events. Yeah, and what you need I think uh, is a government that's able to deal with events um, and has experience uh, dealing with crises, dealing with shocks and that's the kind of experience that yeah. um, I've certainly built up in my yeah. time in office. Now the job of a politician, the job of government is to look after the citizens to make sure that they're educated, that they have a roof over their heads and that their health care needs will be met. Now we're finding deficiencies in all those areas. We've mm -hmm. talked a lot about housing. But when, uh, you know, a parent in Kerry is talking about a doctor having to be flown in from Dubai for a couple of days to service CAMs in that area, <sighs> that's jaw-dropping. Well, look, it's not, 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 as it, not as it should be. And uh, if we had um, an appropriate, skilled doctor willing to do that job in Ireland, um, that wouldn't be the case. But you know, where you have to put in place contingencies, you do. And I know for the telemedicine service, a lot of parents who have had experience of that uh, have been uh, happy with the service. Bear in mind, it's not the case that you're just in front of the screen on your own. There's somebody from the CAM service there sitting with you. So there's a physical person there with you while, still, while you do the online consultation. It's not ideal, but it's also kind of bizarre. It's, um, look, it's one of the things that we have to do in order to make sure that we're able to provide a level of service. And, you know, we would do it in radiology as well, for example, that people would be looking at x-rays and looking at scans from abroad. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's a way that we augment our workforce. Is it ideal? Uh, absolutely not. Um, and it's something that we're concerned about and something that we are working on. But, you know, again, there, let's never lose sight of the bigger picture here. People in Ireland now have among the longest life expectancy in Europe. People in Ireland live two years longer than they do in Northern Ireland or, or England or Scotland, for example. Um, that's not because we're, you know, wonderfully fish. We don't smoke, we don't drink, and uh, we all go to the gym every day. That's because of a, a, a good quality health service. Once you get into it, the patient outcomes are really excellent yeah. and they're improving but you all the time. you must be concerned about the waiting lists, which seemed incredibly long. Often people will have either died or recovered from the ailment before they get to see the appropriate service. Well, look, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about it and um, I'm a doctor by profession, as you know, and I know the consequences of people having to wait too long to see a specialist or too long for the operation uh, that they need. Um, they can get much worse for a start and obviously can experience a lot of suffering in the meantime. Uh, as part of this launch of care reform plan, we've set a target saying that nobody should have to wait more than 10 to 12 weeks to see a specialist if they need to. Uh, that means see, more specialists. And to see um, uh, and to have the operation that they need. So uh, waiting has actually peaked after COVID. You know, there's a whole buildup of demand after COVID. They're down about 20% since then. So the number of people waiting more to 10 to 12 weeks uh, is actually lower than it was um, just after COVID. And that's in stark contrast to most European countries that have seen waiting lists continue to soar um, all the way through COVID. 
we've managed to bring them down a bit and plan, plan to bring them back another 10% this year. I was reading a piece in the Business Post uh, that uh, you might have to spend at least $1.25 billion to secure industrial peace heading into the election whenever it is. Like the public service being well-minded by the government in order that, that there won't be disruption coming up to an election. What do you make of that piece? Is that an accurate reflection of how you might have to spend the money? I, I don't recognise that figure. Uh, so it's not a figure that, I, that I've seen. Um, but we do have a pay agreement with our public servants. Um, let's not forget who these people are. They're, they're nurses, they're doctors, they're guardy, they're teachers, they're people who work in our local authorities. Um, you know, these are people we need uh, and uh, we want them to continue to work in our public service. Um, the pay agreement runs out in, in October and uh, come September we'll initiate negotiations again on a further pay deal for our mm-hmm. public servants. Uh, and, you know, we are experiencing inflation in Ireland. It's Most people in the private sector are getting pay increases. It's not unreasonable for public servants uh, to say that they would like a pay increase too, but mm-hmm. that has to be negotiated. Um, it has to be affordable. And of course, there have to be reforms and productivities mm-hmm. that are agreed uh, in return for that. The mm-hmm. last thing we want is what you see um, you know, in the UK, for example, where it's on and off strikes now for nearly a year, that doesn't benefit anyone. The workers lose pay. The public don't get the services they need. Do you anticipate running with Fianna Fáil and the Green Party on a joint platform running into the next election? Um, hasn't been discussed. Uh, and we are all separate parties. So I think it's unlikely that we'll run, uh, you know, as a ticket, if you like, or as a coalition. I think each party will want to set out its own, st- own stall. Um, but I do think there's a very good chance that this government could be re-elected. Um, I, I never put too much stock in opinion polls because they don't predict the outcome of elections. They certainly didn't last time and they certainly didn't the time before. Um, but, you know, I think it's fair to say that, uh, accepting that caveat, uh, if you look at Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together, um, the two parties, you know, continue to command in around 40, 40% or more of the vote. Um, it's on those kind of figures that governments get re-elected, we, you know, perhaps with the Greens as, as partners again. I think that's that's a realistic possibility. I know Sinn Féin are doing really, really well in the polls and, you know, best of luck to them. But 31, 32%, 35% doesn't a government make. Um, the reason why the three parties that are in government now are in government, it's because we got 51% together. Uh, and I think there's a good chance uh, that the current government could be re-elected and be allowed to continue our work. Two quick questions. Uh, finally, I noticed that Michal Martin's doing a podcast. Are you likely to follow in his footsteps? Uh, no plans for the moment. And we do a Finnegal podcast, by the way, so I've, I've already done that. Um, and uh, But that's not, not just me, you know, it's, it's, it's all our different, uh, our different public reps. So not planning to do me on one. But, um, and the final question on everyone's lips, you know, should Ryan Tupperty get back on the air on RT? Oh, I think it's best I don't have an opinion on that, or at least not express one. The last thing we need now is politicians um, saying who and who are who are who should or should not um, present programmes on RT. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. On. And indeed, anywhere else, I would hope. Absolutely, <laughs> Leah Bradker, Taoiseach, Thank you thank very you. much for joining us in the studio today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.